Support for this podcast comes from Aluba. Aluba is a leader in data science and analytics skills assessment, offering comprehensive testing and candidate benchmarking with seamless integration into your hiring process. Aluba helps you assess the skills of data professionals in a fast and unbiased way, allowing you to uncover hidden gems which are often overlooked during manual CV screening. With Aluba, you can save the time and cost of filling data and analytics vacancies by providing an advanced online skills assessment and instantaneous feedback to all of your candidates. Find out more about Aluba at aluba.com slash recruiting future and book a demo today. That's aluba.com slash recruiting future. And Aluba is spelled A-L-O-O-B-A. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 360 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The impact of the pandemic means that in 18 months, we've moved from discussing theories around the future of work to debating the practicalities. Fully remote, fully back in the office, hybrid working, the discussion and the publicity around the decisions companies make will dominate the HR news cycle for months, if not years to come. One of the key advantages of remote working is the ability to broaden talent pools across borders. However, this does come with complications. To discuss the challenges and advantages, my guests this week are Shane Nolan, Head of Technology and Emerging Business at IDA Island, and Louise Kelly, a tax partner with Deloitte in Ireland. Hi Shane, hi Louise, and welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have both of you on the show. And I wonder whether we could just start with you introducing yourselves and telling us what you do. So, Shane, would you like to go first? Sure, Matt. Um, and nice chatting with you. So my name is Shane Nolan. I head up technology and emerging business at IDA Ireland. Um, so IDA Ireland is the Irish government's investment development agency. Um, and we work with companies around the globe to either help them use Ireland for international market expansion or to scale their teams. Um, we have about 1,500 clients and they employ a little over a quarter of a million people. And within that, I head up our work that we do with mostly with technology companies, but also with fast growing scale-ups. Fantastic stuff. And Louise? Hi, Matt. Um, delighted to be here today. Um, so my name is Louise Kelly. I'm an international tax partner with Deloitte in Ireland. I work and, and help companies setting up operations in Europe, but particularly in Ireland. And that would include R&D, hubs, principal companies, IP structures, customer support functions, um, and uh, help them get established and, and advising on the tax impa- impacts in particular. So Shane, I'm going to start with some questions Questions for you. I suppose, first of all, tell us tell us a little bit more about IDA and, and the work that you do. Sure, yeah. So as I alluded to, um, um, we work with companies for everywhere from San Francisco to Seoul, so globally. 
um, to help them uh, understand what Ireland has to offer, either to help them break into the EU market uh, or indeed to scale their teams if, you know, where they're based is experiencing talent squeeze. Um, so we have about 1,500 clients, as I mentioned, um, and about half our time is spent making sure that any you know, we're moving barriers to scaling for these companies and we're helping them um, you know, drive more value from their investment in Ireland. And then the other half of our time is spent um, working with the next wave uh, of companies um, in that sector. So on the technology side, um, you know, the big employers in Ireland would include folks like Intel, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, TikTok. Um, um, so real kind of geographic mix and, and, and sectoral mix. Um, and, you know, tech and digital is probably one of the fastest growing areas in terms of employment within Ireland right now. So we're obviously, we've obviously been going through and indeed are still going through a very disruptive time when it comes to work. What's been your experiences with the way that companies have been working remotely during the pandemic? Yeah, like I know we're probably 18 months into the experience now, but I think the sheer speed at which people transitioned is still pretty impressive 18 months on um like when we look back to march 2020 which is when you know the big transition happened in ireland um to to working from home because of covid um you know pretty much tens of thousands of workers um left their office and transitioned into working from home over a weekend um coincidentally it was st patrick's weekend as well i don't know whether that made it any easier or, or more difficult um but essentially one once the following Monday arrived, everybody was online and, and and working away. So I think that that's been probably the most impressive aspect. Um, I think since then, broadly speaking, our clients have told us that productivity has been mostly maintained and in many cases slightly improved. Um, I think, you know, a, a lot of uh, employers that we're um, supporting or engaging with, you know, recognize that the challenges of homeworking as well, uh, which is positive, you know, mainly challenges around maintaining employee engagement and, and social cohesion. Um, but, but thankfully in Ireland, we've had exemplars of homeworking or blended working already pre-COVID. Um, so we've had folks like Shopify, Amazon and Apple who collectively have had thousands of employees in Ireland working from home since before the pandemic. So thankfully they've been sharing their playbooks around, you know, how they maintain culture and maintain uh, and support employee engagement in, in a working from home environment. Um, one of the other kind of trends that we've seen as well is around training. Um, we have a workforce training organization in Ireland called Skillnets. And unsurprisingly, all of their courses around leading and managing remote have been oversubscribed over the past 18 months. Um, we've also seen interesting statistics from uh, LinkedIn, uh, which would indicate that um, a lot of folks who are working from home are also using any spare time to enhance skills or do retraining. Um, we're seeing interesting moves across um, uh, certain categories of, of roles as well. Um, so we're seeing folks move out of um, hospitality uh, uh, in particular uh, into um, digital and sales roles. Um, I think that's a trend that we're seeing beyond beyond Ireland as well. Um, but, but also seeing a lot of um, consistency now in terms of what employers are looking for. I think in the early days of lockdown, you know, we were seeing, you know, 
quite extreme positions in terms of, you know, what employees were were, were looking for, were reporters be looking for, you know, in some cases it was being reported that all employees wanted to work, you know, from wherever in the world going forward and there'd never be a return. But I think, you know, what we've seen certainly from uh, polls that we've run, uh, conversations we've had, and indeed third party polls is about 15 to 20 percent of workers are counting down the days until they can return to the office. And, and this is typically the 24 to 34 um, age group um, because they're missing the, the social aspects of work um, in particular and learning opportunities that, you know, that, that come from observing colleagues when you're at that phase in your career. Um, about 60 to 70 percent um, are looking for flex. Um, so, you know, one to three days per week working from home. Um, and then about 15 to 20 percent want to be uh, working from home full time. Uh, and the largest cohort in that group would be folks managing demanding family or extended family obligations. There's so many interesting things there. And yeah, this sense of certainly uh, conversations that were going on uh, 12 months ago about working, not just working from home, but working from absolutely anywhere around the world. And I know that's something that we're going to dig into a bit deeper in a second. Before we do, though, you, you mentioned a sort of a number of US technology companies that, that you work with who, who've chosen to have their offices in Ireland. What are you What are you seeing now? Is there is there an increase in US companies who who want to who want to come into Ireland? Um, what's sort of happening mo- moving forward? How is the the pandemic sort of shifting things? Sure. Yeah. Like I think um, what's been encouraging um, and. A little surprising is that foreign direct investment has remained pretty robust um, during the pandemic. Um, We are still seeing um, new entrants into Ireland, um, a large cohort from the US, you know, looking at Ireland as an entry point uh, into the the EU market uh, where they can pick up, you know, their tech skills for, you know, um, sustained product development or multilingual skills for indeed sales and and customer support. Um, But also seeing interest in Ireland from European companies. Um, You know, obviously there was uh, interest in Ireland from the UK. uh, you know, around Brexit, particularly from financial services. Um, but um, we're also seeing interest from mainland Europe, you know, companies like Personio, which is the, I suppose, the, um, you know, um, high profile um, SaaS unicorn um, uh, from Germany at the moment are scaling up their in- international sales team in Ireland. So, yeah, not just from the US, but the US, um, we're still seeing a lot of volume. Also seeing um, um, growth from Asia Pack as well. So TikTok would have announced um, late last year that they they grew by a thousand people that their team in Ireland during 2020. So um, quite dispersed in terms of the origin of investment, but but just still seeing a lot of interest from the US. Um, and I think you know if US companies find it quite comforting that you know they can land in an English-speaking common law jurisdiction and then serve you know 27 um, diverse markets from 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 the one center so Louise sort of turning the conversation to you what are you seeing in terms of employees returning to the office post pandemic what are you seeing what's your what's your view yeah like certainly from speaking to um, a number of our clients I, I think kind of a, a hybrid model is, is likely to be the um, the kind of preferred approach going forward. Um, I think I'm, I'm, there are some companies on both ends of the spectrum, you know, where some um, have announced you know, that they intend to be fully remote. Others you know, have announced as well that they 
they see um, the vast majority of their employees being back in the office um, for, for the majority of time. But I think a lot of companies are kind of in the, the middle where they, they will probably allow some greater flexibility than before. Um, I do think most companies are, are focused on allowing that flexibility where their employees are in the, the country of employment. So for, you know, for Irish um, companies or companies that have Irish hubs, you know, the expectation is that their employees will be based in Ireland. So even if they're not in the office, um, 100% of their time, that is when they're working remotely, that, that they will be doing that from, from Ireland. Um, certainly last year when the pandemic hit, you know, hit initially, you had people returning maybe to other countries where they had family members or indeed you know, people being in a location when the pandemic struck and, and you know, weren't maybe able to return to Ireland or to their, you know, their country of employment. And I think there was some flexibility given to employees during that period of time. Um, and indeed, there was some flexibility given by some tax authorities that recognised that this was a, a fairly unique situation and therefore the normal rules around um, employee taxing um, and you know, the creation of a taxable presence for a company in some cases, not all, but in some cases were, um, were kind of relaxed, I suppose, for that period um, in, in 2020 um, when there was you know, travel restrictions, etc. Um, but I think you know, we certainly have seen tax authorities um, kind of saying, you know, as we had gone into 2021, that some of those concessions were no longer available and there was an expectation that employees would you know, be in their country of, um, of employment or if not, well, then that the employer dealt with some of the additional tax um, burden that might arise if an employee was working as was outside of their home country. Um, and I think you know, some of those tax issues that need to be managed you know, to the extent that an employee is not working in their, their country um, of employment is whether the company has an obligation to withhold payroll taxes in the country where the, the employee is located. Um, and you know, sometimes those rates can obviously be higher or indeed lower than um, the, the tax rates in the, the country of employment. It could be different social security rates um, and obligations. And then also you know, the, the individual working in a, in a different country could create a taxable presence for the company. So the company may now need to, to pay corporation tax in that country. Um, and sometimes you know, the amount of additional taxes may not actually be that significant, but it was the additional compliance burden for the, the tax team, for the payroll teams within an organisation can um, be actually challenging, you know, particularly if you have a number of employees um, being based in a number of different countries and, and therefore creating significant obligations. Um, some of the other tax considerations around um, individuals being outside of their, the country of employment would be to the extent you're relying on particular incentives. So, for example, the Irish um, Research and Development Tax Credit regime requires those R&D activities to take place in Ireland. And therefore, to the extent you have somebody doing that work you know, no longer in Ireland, well, then that may impact your ability to, to claim that incentive. Um, or indeed, you know, if, if companies have particular um, transfer pricing models, you know, where the intention is that um, profits accumulate in one particular country, but now, um, and, and that was based on the substance and activities happening in that country, but now some of those activities are happening across a wide variety of countries, was then that might undermine the, the transfer pricing model within an organisation. Um, so I, I think as we look forward and as, as companies, as we try and um, bring their employees back as well as you into the office potentially or into you know the office part time. Certainly, 
they're probably putting some more rigor around you know, what is acceptable within an organization as to where an employee can be based if they're not in the office. And for you know, a number of companies, they have said, well, but that needs to be in the, the country of employment. Um, I think for a country like um, the US or indeed Canada, um, sometimes it's not just sufficient that they're um, that the employee is back in the US, um, but as was given, you know, different tax regimes across different states in the US or, or different provinces in Canada, there can actually be some different um, tax considerations, even if somebody is working within the country but in a different state or province. So, you know, for, for some organisations, they've had to kind of grapple with that um, location or relocation around a country, um, not necessarily even outside of the country. Um, but I think it will be interesting over the next, you know, kind of 12, 18 months to see as you know, companies return to the office and, and potentially to kind of that hybrid model, um, you know, where things will settle down once, um, you know, once the, hopefully the pandemic is, um, is over and, and maybe some of the social distancing requirements that currently exist in, in a number of countries get relaxed, um, you know, what is the, the future will look like it was for a number of groups. Um, and strategically, this was how they're going to deal with the future of working and that kind of hybrid model. I think that's really interesting because what's certainly happening now is I think we've had a kind of a very theoretical debate about what happens at the end of the pandemic in terms of remote working and, and hybrid working. I'm not even sure we know what hybrid working even 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 means in, in, in reality yet. Here we are now facing some sort of very solid practicalities, particularly around remote working. Just a sort of couple of questions on that. I mean, you, you talked about in the US different obligations in, in different states and how that might cause issues for, for, for employers. One of the things that, that obviously Shane mentioned right at the, the, the start of the conversation was US companies sort of basing themselves in Ireland and getting access to the market of uh, 27 countries. How does this work across the EU? If, if the company is, is is kind of its European headquarters in Ireland, but working remotely in other EU uh, countries, what are the what are the implications of that? Obviously, it's a complicated question, but just to, just give us a kind of an overview. Yes, so I suppose each, you know, so albeit as you have the EU kind of as a block, I suppose each country within the EU will have their own tax regime. And therefore, you know, albeit, you know, in the continent, you know, people can obviously um, you know, travel very, very easily um, between countries um, you know, by, by road or rail. Um, I suppose, you know, if somebody is working in a different country from where they're, um, they're employed, then, you know, that is potentially going to create some tax obligations in that other country. So there isn't, I suppose, um, a way to say, well, actually, you're still working within the EU. From a tax perspective, you're still having to look at as was the, each individual country and analyse as what the obligations might be if somebody is now working in France rather than in Ireland. Um, then there's, there's French considerations. Um, I suppose from a, you know, an immigration perspective, there the, the, the probably isn't the same kind of visa requirements. If, if somebody obviously is entitled to work you know, within the EU, then that may be simplified. But from a tax perspective, each country will have their own tax regime and as those will, will want to tax an employee if they're working in that country, regardless of the fact that they're employed by um, a company that's resident in, a, in another EU member state. And so what advice are you sort of giving to companies at the moment? What what should they be looking out for? Are there kind of other regulatory HR issues that, that people should be aware of? Yeah, like I, I think the, the main kind of advice for, for companies is now that as, as things are, are settling and particularly if companies are looking at as what their strategy is going to be going forward to ensure as was that as that 
new strategy is is developed um that this is all of the the, kind of the tax considerations that i mentioned um also as well as you know different maybe um um you know, working laws that um the different obligations that that might be on a company by having people working in different countries and the fact that labor laws can differ between countries that all of those kind of things are, are factored in so that a, a, a company can make kind of an informed decision around as well what they are willing to allow and what as well they feel um you know, should be um should, should some of the rules or procedures be for um ensuring as well as some of those compliance type issues are, are managed um like there are certain kind of tracking tools and, and um, kind of IT systems that would help companies to be able to track, um, you know, based on the information being provided by their employees, you know, where they're, they're based and, and maybe what some of the obligations might be because of that. But I think it is a case of taking a strategic view to it as opposed to just reacting to individual requests that might come from a part of the business that they're looking to recruit you know, in a particular country because they find a, a really good candidate there um, or indeed a request by an existing employee that they want to relocate somewhere. So taking more strategic view um, and taking all of those considerations into account those would kind of be the key piece of advice, as I said, rather than kind of just reacting to individual requests. So a final question for you both, and this is this is something I kind of ask everyone who, who comes on the, on, the, on the show. Making predictions is a very strange game at the moment, but I'm just really interested sort of based on what you're seeing. What do you think the future of work is going to look like over the next 12 to, to 18 months as we kind of move to this next phase? Louise, what's, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so, so I think initially there will probably be a lot of flexibility allowed by employers as as, com- as employees kind of start phasing um, their return to the office, you know, because I think people will have different, um, I suppose, sensitivities in terms of being in, in the office with with their colleagues, um, you know, depending on on kind of vaccine rollout and, and all of that. Um, and, and I think then, you know, probably by the end of this calendar year, hopefully as things maybe settle, um, companies will probably continue to experiment a little bit in terms of what kind of the hybridity means for their organisation. Um, and I suppose, you know, what they feel is important from a culture, you know, a training perspective and the level of flexibility that that employees should have um, to allow them, I suppose, to, to focus on those items, but also be attractive to, to the marketplace. Um, and then I think it'll be interesting after probably that, you know, kind of experiment period of, of probably 2022, you know, things will probably then land in in um, in a bit more of a cohesive way um, for, for particular companies in terms of what they feel works for them. And how they you know, how they need to as well interact maybe with their with their clients with their customers um, and indeed with their employees to try and maximise as well the engagement with their employees but also as well their offering um, to the marketplace. And Shane, same question to you. Yeah, pretty much seen very similar trends um, to the ones Louise described. You know, we're still in the the great social experiment. Um, although, as I mentioned earlier, we have a number of clients who've been doing homeworking for decades and um, you know ha- have learned a lot during that period of time, particularly around how to facilitate employee engagement like um, one company or client in particular Shopify who you know give their team members uh, budget to rent uh, meeting rooms in hotels so that they can work together in their area uh, on, for a particular day just just for that cohesion so 
I think as Louis said, we're probably going to see a kind of standard distribution in terms of uh, the wants from workers. You know, 60% are, are probably going to be in the office um, a number of days a week. Um, and then we're going to see some interesting, um, I suppose, operating models or um, fit-out models um, as evidenced by companies like Dropbox who've turned their, you know, building into a kind of collaboration and community building space with, with no desks. So like we're definitely seeing a trend of the, the, the kind of two Cs uh, as we're calling it, um, you know, most employers um, feel collaboration works best in their office building because the infrastructure is set up to do so. And, you know, particularly in tech, given the age profile, a lot of tech workers live with their friends or in multi-tenant houses. So the second C of concentration becomes really important. And again, the infrastructure exists to kind of do work in silent or concentrate on particular pieces of work in an office environment better than in a home environment. Shane, Louise. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, Matt. My thanks to Shane and Louise. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.